And with that grand introduction, I am your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have a glorious subject to cover today, but first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform which you listen to us upon. You have many social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to and read, like our Facebook page when you type in the at symbol, Mighty Fortress 313. Of course, if you're listening through our YouTube page, feel free to click that like button for the video and subscribe to the channel. It sure really helps get the media content out and helps grow the message. You can also visit our website, OurMightyFortress.com. There we have the host of media there with articles and videos and even a link to our merch store to help support the work. You say, merch store? What is that? It's with our tagline and very, very important uh, statement. Don't let your theology interrupt the study of God. Think on that one for a while. But anyways, of course, if you do feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, feel free to do so through our website and the established PayPal link. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I would like to talk about what can be arguably called the greatest story ever composed in classical music. It was the great composer and musical genius, George Frederick Handel, who wrote Messiah, and it made an impact on history that stamped his name among the greats. There was hardly a person in the Western world that actually hasn't heard of the great Hallelujah Chorus. That was our great intro into this podcast. Normally I have a a regular podcast intro, but I said, man, there is no way I can play the regular intro when you have the Hallelujah Chorus. Now, you might be asking, how can we even say that this is really the greatest story ever composed? It's because it tells of the gospel story of Jesus Christ and the redemption of mankind. This symphony is usually conducted during the Christmas season by symphonies around the world. There is much about our modern culture that doesn't really appreciate classical music. You know, we've been too consumed with more primitive beats and sounds out of the pagan worship in which it derived. But if you have an ear for classical music and it can can enjoy the, well, not only enjoy, but just appreciate what it takes to compose such, it really will be a blessing in your life. We'll look a look at a little bit of the story of Handel's life and early work. Then we're going to see the amazing transition later in his life that produced his beautiful work. Not only do we have the amazing gospel story being composed, but there is what I believe a move in Handel's spirit that probably led to his salvation. We'll talk about that as we progress through the podcast. We'll then finish how he organized this magnificent piece of work in relation to God's redemption plan. At the end, I hope that you will be much more appreciative of this masterpiece of music as well as the plan of redemption. With that introduction, let's get right into this. The beginning of this story is not just about a famous composer's biography. Rather, it's about a man's journey from being an unbeliever in the God of the universe to coming to the knowledge and saving grace of Jesus Christ. 
Little did he know that he would be used greatly to bring glory to God. George Frederick Handel was born on 16, or in 1685 at the height of what's called the Baroque era. He did have a middle class upbringing and even though his family was rather non-musical, he ended up a musical prodigy. Now think about that for a minute. He had no influence of music whatsoever, but whenever he would see music, he just could play it. I mean, I wish I had a gift like that. He ended up being a musical prodigy. We should note that his actual church background was considered Reformed or Calvinist, and when he was 17 years old, played as his church's organist for about a year. This is important because he would have heard the gospel more than once. Though there is no real evidence of his salvation at this time, and his early life would kind of depict this, it's like, though he may have heard the gospel, it just didn't resonate with him yet. I think it will later, though. But moving on, Handel would leave to go to Italy, and he would start to become very well known for his Italian operas. He went at the age of 19, where he could learn from some of the best composers in that area while being a part of an orchestra playing the violin and the harpsichord. At 20 years old, he would premiere his very first opera, and just seven weeks later, he would premiere his second opera. Now think about that. 19 and 20 years old? Uh, wow. I mean, 20 years old, he premieres his very first opera? We can definitely say that there's not too many 19 and 20 year olds uh, today making this kind of music at such a young age. So needless to say, Handel was pretty astounding. He was a very talented musician, but not only this, he also knew how to network and he was a very friendly kind of guy. He was very personable. You think about how we conduct business today with social media and content creators. A person may be very talented and may even make excellent content, but if you don't know how to network, then nobody's even going to see your work anyways. Handel not only produced excellent music, but he knew how to advertise and build a base of support. That's pretty fascinating. And I think even if someone's more new, to classical music, this is at least something you can really resonate with in our modern world. He could write operas within seven days, which is pretty amazing and astounding, really. And he would demonstrate his vast understanding of music at such a young age. Anyone who knows music knows that it's just it's one thing to actually play an instrument and be good at it, but it's a completely another thing to have such a command over the music that one can compose different instruments, each with their own sounds, and bring it all together to form a masterpiece. Not only this, but incorporate voices uh, that would be included in an opera. Operas were, ironically at this time, forbidden by the Pope. But it seemed like nobody was listening to him at this time. As the years passed, Handel had plenty of success in the Italian cities of Florence and Ven uh, Venice. And he made such a splash there that there were foreign royal courts trying to get him to be their personal musician or composer. He ended up taking the position called the Kapellmeister in the court of Hanover. 
if you think about it, there was a lot of German states. It wasn't the country of Germany at this time, but there's a lot of different states, and this is that was one of them. Now, what made this decision the best for Handel's career was that George Ludwig Hanover was the only living Protestant heir for the English crown. He really liked Handel and gave him a lot of permissions to be able to travel freely, even pay them. This same guy would end up uh, going and becoming King George I for England because he was a part of the, the British royal line. And at this time, England was not having Catholic kings or queens, but Protestants, so he was the only one that was of a Protestant nature. And Handel would actually follow him to England and perform a lot of music there. But let's fast forward in Handel's life because he would really blossom with his music in England. And this is where he would write one of his other well-known compositions called Water Music. This piece was specifically for the King of England as he, as he would float up and down the river and so he could listen to some tunes. One thing is to keep in mind that Handel was still a secular writer. Now, now you don't really read anything about him being a terrible kind of guy, like a philanderer or whatever else. Like sometimes you, you can read about some of these guys in history, but it didn't seem like he gave much credence to Christianity or uh, about his upbringing or, or that type of thing. He wasn't necessarily a, you know, overtly immoral kind of guy, but there was nothing really distinctly religious about him in his early and midlife. Remember that I said in the beginning that he did have a foundation in the Reformed Church, and it was very possible he heard the gospel quite often. So it's not that it was exactly strange to him. At the age of 52, though, Handel had a stroke, and he would lose uh, the use of his right hand. It would take six weeks to recover, and, and that was quite, quite a feat at that time, if you think about it. But he did get use of his hand back. It was at this point that something changed in his life. It's, it's actually not uncommon as near-death experiences tend to open people up to the reality of their mortality. You know, so it's it's very common. So at, at the age of 52, this stroke would just shake him and rattle him and, and, and getting to think about his eternity and realize his his state before God. But we'll talk more about that in a bit. Now, while operas were losing popularity, he turned to what's called oratorios, which were large-scale musical works for orchestra, a chorale, and typically based upon a narrative of religious theme. He would write many biblically-themed oratorios, but his greatest work was called Messiah, which was written in 1741. He was invited to Dublin, Ireland for a getaway, and it was there, within 24 days, he composed, arguably, the greatest story ever put to classical music. It was Christopher Hogwood, a modern prominent conductor, that said, quote, The present-day standing of Messiah makes it difficult for us to realize that for Handel, its composition was an offbeat venture, unsure in its rewards and probably and probably unrepeatable. It is the truly sacred oratorio he ever wrote, 
and it was the only one performed during his lifetime in a consecrated building. End quote. Messiah was written with over 250,000 notes, which, wow, that would make any modern writer very challenged just to write and copy it within 24 days, let alone composing the music. Looking at Handel's original notes, you can see how he's just flying across the page. There are museums or and people who have copies of Handel's handwritten notes of the music, and you can just see that, man, it looks like he's just flying across each of the pages. And really, what is truly amazing about Handel's speed is not exactly how fast, though that does have its own splendor, but rather how good his work was. I personally have some theories as to the reason why, but let me first fill in some of the stories of him writing it. Remember what I said, that something changed about Handel when he had his stroke. I believe this truly woke him up to the fact that he was well close to death than ever before. This is often used of God to awaken people to their own mortality and that they would meet him soon. As Handel was writing the Hallelujah Chorus, he was famously described in the process of composing it as the heavens opening up to him. Later, one of his assistants walked into the room where he was putting all the music together and he just wasn't moving. His face was down and after shouting to him for minutes with no response, he found Handel in tears, pen in hand. And his assistant asked him what was wrong. Handel responded, I thought I saw the face of God. Now we can make of that what we will. But it's very likely that he finally understood what he had been taught from his childhood in the church. His music would sure reflect that afterwards. But it was his composition of Messiah that would open up his eyes. At the completion of Messiah, he wrote at the end, S-O-G, or Soleo Deo Gloria, which means, to God alone be the glory. It is said that the King of England came to one of his performances of Messiah, and when the Hallelujah Chorus started, he stood to his feet. It was said that the King was asked why he did so, and he responded, We all need to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. End quote. From that time hence, it had been tradition that when the Hallelujah Chorus starts, all must rise to their feet and give glory to the King of the Universe. The finished work of Handel's Messiah comprises of three parts. Part one is about the coming and birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Part two reflects on his passion and resurrection with the spread of the gospel message. Part three speaks of Christ's second coming, the end of the world, and the promise of eternal life. I have personally listened to this masterpiece twice and it is truly amazing to hear. There is a weaving of scripture and placing it to music that tells the complete gospel story. Some parts have individual singers with a bass and then a tenor or an alto and a soprano. There will be a chorus or choir arching behind and the center would be the orchestra just piecing everything together. It is a truly 
wonderful work to listen to and see in person. And while I can't go over every part of it, but let me share some of the scriptures that are woven into the fabric of the music. Part 1 starts with Isaiah 40 and verse 5, which says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Isaiah 9.6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and the name and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now this is talking about Jesus Christ, and actually the way he weaves this music uh, with the verse is actually one of the more famous parts of Handel's Messiah. It's pretty neat to listen to. Then he goes on with Luke 14. Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Part 2. Now, like I said, there's a lot more scripture that weaves through, but we're just kind of briefly going over it. Part 2 starts with John 1, verse 29, which says, The next day John seeth Jesus come unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Then Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 5, Surely he hath borne our griefs, talking about Jesus, and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53 and verse 6 says, and all we, well, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Speaking about how Jesus Christ came and bore the sins of the world upon him. And of course, after Jesus was crucified, then you have the, uh, the bringing in of Psalm 16, verse uh, 10, which says, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Psalm 2 verses 1 through 2 says, Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Then Handel takes uh, three specific verses and really this is what composes what's called the Hallelujah Chorus. He puts together Revelation 19 and verse 6, Revelation 11, 5, and then Revelation 19, verse 16. And he puts it together like this. And I heard, as it were, a voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as a voice of mighty, of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, and if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. And I heard it as were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Then it goes into part three of Messiah, which is the second coming of Jesus Christ. He molds 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 56 into the music. 
and it's sung out loud, which says, quote, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall all not sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when is this cor so when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. End quote. Then he brings in Revelation chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, which says, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. I am more than ever convinced that I will see this great composer and this brother in heaven one day. But not because he wrote music, rather that he believed the gospel story and the savior of man. A magnificent story, a story of the Savior of the world being born. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, would bear the sins of the world, your sins, my sins, and would die on the cross of Calvary. But he would not stay in the grave. In fact, he would rise from the dead three days later. And because he rose... We then have eternal life because if he stayed in the grave, we would not have eternal life. He would be just like any other man. But because he is God, he rose from the dead and had to finish the grand redemption story set from the foundation of the world. And if you believe and trust that he went to the cross for your sins, for your sins, and not only died, but was buried, and he rose again on the third day. If you believe that, you too can be called born again. And not only that, that gift called salvation is something that is given freely. You cannot possibly work for this. The book of Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. We cannot give anything to God for our salvation. It is either 100% God or 100% us. And if it's built upon us, we cannot get to heaven. It is only through the finished work of Jesus Christ that we will see eternal life. And you say, well, how can I accept such a gift? Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, for if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart, God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart 
man believes in the righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And verse 10, 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you believe the gospel story, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you too can call upon the name of the Lord and be forever sealed through the Holy Spirit, forever be saved. This is what the gospel story is about. This is what this great composer who wrote Messiah that changed his life and broke him down to tears and realized that he too needed a savior. And just like Handel did, he realized Hebrews 9.27 said, And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. It's very, very important to grasp that even a man 200 plus years ago realized this and came to the knowledge of Christ, came to the saving grace of Christ. If you have any other questions on this, please go to our website and about the how to, the about tab and then it says how to be saved. Take a look at the verses there if you need further description or please reach out to us through email. But I hope this podcast has been a blessing and that it wasn't just a biography about a great composer, but about amazing story. Not only the amazing story about a man's salvation, but about the greatest story ever composed. I want to thank you for listening. And be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com, and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content, and remember to find your refuge and strength in our Mighty Fortress.